Good morning. It's a Monday. Kale and Company Live. Great to have you with us here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. It is a football Monday. We will be full of football uh, from now until uh, 9 o'clock. Of course, the Patriots uh, lost to the Baltimore Ravens yesterday, but on the positive side, the uh, UNH Wildcats coming off a decisive 37-14 victory on the road against Towson University on Saturday in Maryland. We have UNH head football coach Rick Santos with us, and uh, Rick, congratulations on the win, and uh, your thoughts on Saturday against Towson. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. another opportunity to speak with you. Yeah, it was a uh, <clears throat> it was a great, great, tough, contested contest. You know, it's always tough to win in this in this league, and in particular on the road. Uh, Thousand was was a very tough opponent. You know, they had about forty four, forty six transfers. So, I mean, they were basically a Division One roster. They had talent all over the field. So, <clears throat> for us, we felt like we need to go down there, be the aggressor. You know, find a way to you know, throw the first punch. And uh, so we decided on the, on the opening kickoff, we ended up going with the surprise onside, which, which we got. You know, they had an All-American kick returner, Diego Hunter, that we were uh, trying to limit his, his touches. So was able to do that and go down and score on that first possession. Um, you know, then the defense got a stop. And, you know, we had a big 92-yard punt, uh, punt return by Dylan Lobby that kind of set the tone. So got off to a quick 10-0 start, and then our guys found a way to – you know, keep the pedal down and keep that momentum the rest of the game. Yeah, you scored first, and then uh, late in the in the first quarter, uh, you you had that punt return from Dylan Lauby, and uh, that, that must have uh, given you a, a, a big boost—a 92-yard return tying a school record. Uh, that that must have been a, a great moment in that game. Yeah, it really was because I mean it's one of those things where you know we we get the the first score. It's only a field goal. You know we pride ourselves in scoring touchdowns in the red zone, so that was a little bit of a momentum uh, shift the other way. And then we get the opportunity to to get that big play by Dylan, really well blocked by the guys on team. You know you got to give credit to Coach Garrett McLaughlin, our special teams coordinator, did a really good job dialing up some some good schemes this week, um, and we felt like. You know, winning the special teams battle was going to be a huge part of this, and particularly because they were so good, uh, Towson was. So we wanted to match that intensity, and, you know, I think we, we won the hidden yard battle, which is great. Yeah, no question about that. Cats now uh, 3-0 and in the Colonial Athletic Association, so you, you can't get off to a much better start than that. No, it's great. And, um, you know, we have a lot of tough, tough games ahead of us, you know, but the fact that we could get off to a fast start like that and kind of put ourselves in the driver's seat is, is great. But I think we gotta, we got to re, reestablish a, a good work ethic this week in practice and ground ourselves a little bit. Um, you know, Western Michigan's a very tough team that we're playing this week. So, you know, we're taking a week off from, from conference opponents, going to play an FBS team. Uh, which we haven't beaten here, you know, since 2017. So, uh, you know, we know that it's going to be going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. You know, they're they lost a couple games in a row, so they're going to be hungry, ready to go. So, we got to match that intensity. Yeah, no, no question about that. But uh, getting back to the the win uh, on Saturday, uh, so uh, so much went into that in, in terms of contributions from the offense, the defense, as you mentioned, uh, special teams as well. It would appear to me that uh, Joey Cochran, the redshirt freshman, is making his presence felt uh, on the offensive side of the football. He is. He's uh, he's establishing himself as, as Max's go-to guy. You know, he had six catches for, for 71. 
and a touchdown. And, you know, we, we work hard. So, you know, we said we want X plays, Ken. So explosive plays over 20 yards. You know, when you look at, at the end of the year and you do all these studies, it directly relates, you know, your percentage goes up through the roof that you're going to score a touchdown. So he had the ability to, to have a 21 yard and then end up ultimately resulting in a touchdown in itself. So finding ways to get explosive plays in the past game that we've lacked the last few years is something that we got to continue to do you know, if we want to uh, continue to be successful. Yeah, uh, absolutely so. And, and sometimes when a team scores 37 points like you did on Saturday at Towson, uh, you know, you, you, you forget about the defense a little bit. What kind of a job did they do uh, in Saturday's game? I think they executed the game plan as well as we have all year. Um, you know, Terrell Pagrom, their, their quarterback for Towson, was extremely dynamic. He could run. Uh, you know, he he started games at, at Maryland, played in the SEC. So he's somebody that is, you know, well-traveled and a really good player. And uh, we felt like we had to put a net in a cage around him and, and find a way to keep him in the pocket. Because uh, if he got out and extended plays, you know, not only could he hurt you with his legs, but he got a big-time arm. So I think first and foremost, the guys up front did a really good job with the game plan, keeping them in there. The guys at the second level were disciplined with their eyes and, and making sure that they kept their gap responsibility. And then I think, you know, Towson has a lot of playmakers out wide, so you got to give credit to, to the guys in the secondary. You know, Randall Harris in particular did a really good job all day, you know, locking up their number one receiver. You know, Pop Bush, our, our strike overhang safety, he did a really good job being physical, making some one-on-one tackles in space where if he didn't make those, you know, they could have potentially been touchdowns. So I thought the guys ran to the football well, they tackled well, executed the game plan, um, and we had six sacks. You know, anytime you wow. get a quarterback on the, time, uh, on the ground six times, you know, that's going to be a recipe for winning. And, and it would appear that uh, you clearly won the battle of the special teams in that one. Yeah, we um, we track hidden yards, so, you know, like the net punt versus how much they netted and, you know, our kick, our kick and punt return versus them and all those things. And we ended up, uh, you know, our goal is, is plus 80. Uh, we ended up uh, plus 182 yards on the game. So when you look at you look at those hidden yards that don't necessarily pop in the stat sheet, uh, we felt like that was a huge reason why we were able to come out with a win. And you mentioned uh, your next opponent uh, coming up, the Western Michigan Broncos, a team that uh, UNH has never played before, an FBS team. So uh, when you go up and, and you know go out and, and play an FBS team, uh, you know, what, what is the approach? I mean, uh, obviously the FBS team is always going to be, quote-unquote, the, the favorite, but what, what is your approach uh, this week in heading into that game? I think we got nothing to lose. I think all the pressure's on them. Uh, just I think we can free our mind a little bit, cut it loose, and just just go out there and, and work to make plays. You know, what I mean, it's one of those things where you don't you don't have to be perfect. You know, um, I feel like sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves in games like this, but we do got to play a clean game in all three phases and just kind of take advantage of it and go into it. And I know a lot of our guys, you know, in the recruiting process, we're hoping to be Division One guys when it when it all starts, kind of in your high school career, and then you end up, late, you know, ultimately end up being an FCS guy. So just kind of use that, maybe have a little chip on your shoulder. For some of the, you know, those guys that feel like they they're good enough to play at that level. It's like, all right, let's prove it this week and, and see if we can go out there and you know try to steal one and upset them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, how is the team uh, physically entering the game against Western Michigan? I. Uh, yeah, I think we're in a pretty good spot. Some some nicks and bruises, um, some normal stuff. Obviously, Towson was extremely physical on, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So 
Uh, but nothing after that game um, came out that was glaring that's going to hold guys out for the upcoming week. And then hopefully Joey Eichmann, one of our safeties who started the year, has been out the last couple weeks uh, with a knee injury. Uh, he looked much better last week, so we're hoping to potentially get him back as well. Yeah, outstanding, and and I know you know because you had that uh, big lead uh, in in the ball game in, in the second half. There were some freshmen who had their their first opportunity to play. Yeah, that 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 is the neat thing about that. You know, that last drive, we're able to get a, a good amount of guys in there. You know, you look at a guy like Justin Fevrier, uh big D tackle uh, from Florida, got in there, got a tackle. Um, you know, Luke Teske got in the game. Some other guys who have been really working their tails off for us. You know, in particular on scout team, you know, give them the opportunity to go in there, and we really pride ourselves on, you know, we say ninety-five to sixty ten, meaning everybody in the program for sixty minutes, and everybody's kind of involved. So um, those guys that show up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on scout team, they ultimately give the starters the ability to be successful, how hard they practice. So it's always good to give them an opportunity to get in the game and and kind of have their hard work pay off a little bit. Absolutely. Well, Coach Santos, again, uh, a great job over the weekend. Uh, you and the Wildcats, congratulations, and uh, we wish you all the best in your travels to uh, Western Michigan for the uh, game on Saturday evening. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Look forward to catching up. All right. Very good. Coach Rick Santos of the UNH Wildcats now 3-1 and one on the season, 3-0 and oh in conference play, coming off that 37-14 uh, victory on the road at uh, Towson University on uh, Saturday afternoon. So uh, good job by the UNH Wildcats. Uh, not such a great job yesterday by the uh, New England Patriots as they uh, dropped a 37-26 decision to uh, Baltimore. They kept it close uh, for uh, you know, the first three quarters anyway and had an opportunity uh, in the fourth quarter for uh, you know to, uh, a chance to you know rack up some points, but they turned the ball over too many times. Uh, three interceptions thrown by Mac Jones, and it was a fumble recovery by the Ravens as well. And now uh, Mac Jones is uh, very questionable to play next Sunday when the Patriots go to Green Bay to take on the Packers, who uh, beat Tampa Bay. Uh, yesterday in Florida. We'll have more on that coming up. And then uh, a guest at uh, 8.35, Buzz Bissinger, who has just written a brand new book. Uh, He is the author, by the way, of Friday Night Lights, which you may be familiar with. His new book is The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II. It's a great book, and uh, Buzz will be joining us around uh, 8.35 this morning. Kale and Company live right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Don't you dare touch that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live for this Monday, the 26th of September. Great to have you along with us. As we mentioned uh, in the previous segment, Mac Jones had to uh, hobble off the field. Uh, in the latter stages of uh, yesterday's game against the Baltimore Ravens at Gillette Stadium, Jones uh, was not made available for his post-game news conference as uh, he usually uh, you know, answers questions from the media following a game. Yesterday, he did not, but uh, he is scheduled to address reporters today. Uh, the injury occurred on uh, Jones' final passing attempt of the day, which was an interception. 
uh, late in the fourth quarter as he was hit by a Ravens defensive lineman and uh, immediately uh, grabbed for his left ankle. Uh, Kalis Campbell was the uh, defender who uh, wrapped up uh, Mac Jones. Uh, Campbell is 6'8", 307 pounds. He left his feet as he hit Jones, then uh, landed on him. Jones' left leg bent, and uh, Campbell landed on the lower part of that left leg. More than 300 pounds coming down on that left leg of Mac Jones, who uh, reached for his left ankle, got up, and hopped to the Patriots' sideline. Uh, While injured players generally uh, enter the pop-up tent on the sideline, uh, Jones instead went straight to the locker room. So uh, there you go. Jones did finish the day 22 of 32 for 302 yards. Uh, No touchdown passes and uh, three interceptions. And he uh, ran the ball five times for 31 yards. Patriots will take on the Packers on Sunday. I don't know if uh, any of you saw that game. On Sunday, Green Bay and Tampa Bay, a battle of the bays. The temperature was about 100 degrees on the field in uh, Tampa, Florida. And uh, Green Bay uh, managed to hold on and win the game 14-12. to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers rallied, uh, scored a touchdown late. And to make it 14-12, to they were getting ready for a two-point conversion. And guess what, folks? They're getting ready to tie it up with that two-point conversion or hopefully tie it up with that two-point conversion. And they couldn't get the playoff in time. They were called for delay of the game and were penalized five yards back to the seven-yard line. And that is uh, so critical in that scenario. You know, I mean, only about... Eh, Roughly 50% of the time do those two-point conversions work. And now they were faced with starting that uh, attempt at the seven-yard line instead of the two. And it didn't work out well. It did not work out well. They were not able to tie up the game. And Green Bay went on to a 14-12 win yesterday in the Battle of the Bays. So that'll be the Patriots' next opponent in Green Bay on Sunday. The Green Bay Packers with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Veteran Brian Hoyer is the Patriots' top backup quarterback with rookie Bailey Zappi, the uh, number three option on the roster. And it would appear from all that we're able to uh, hear, and there'll be an MRI conducted uh, today on Mac Jones, that Mac will probably have to miss uh, the game at least on Sunday in Green Bay. I mean, you never know. You never know. But uh, it, it's a strong possibility that uh, Mac Jones will not be available. And uh, this morning, Bill Belichick, uh, just a little while ago, said he did not have an update on the condition of Mac Jones. When asked if he anticipates uh, Jones to go on injured reserve, uh, Belichick said, until we get more information, I am not going to speculate wildly on what it would or would not be. So there you go. The situation uh, 
very much up in the air as a result of uh, the injury yesterday to Patriots quarterback Mac Jones. Well, the Yankees and the Red Sox completed their four-game series on Sunday evening in the Bronx. The Yankees winning in a rain-shortened six-inning game, two to nothing the final score. Brian Bayo, the Red Sox rookie right-hander, looking good again. I mean, the Red Sox haven't, let's face it, folks, they have not had too many positives this season. It has been a, let's face it, a miserable season for the Boston Red Sox. But one of the highlights in recent days, recent weeks, has been the pitching of rookie right-hander Brian Bayo. And he pitched very well last night against the New York Yankees. I'm a nationally televised game on ESPN, the world watching to see if Aaron Judge could finally hit home run number 61, which he did not. In fact, I, I thought for sure, I thought for sure that Aaron Judge's 61st home run, which would tie him with Roger Maris for the all-time American League record, I thought for sure that that 61st home run for Aaron Judge would come against the Boston Red Sox. And I, if, if I would have put money on the game last night, which I did not, but I would have bet that Judge would hit it off the rookie Bayo. But it was not the case. The rains came, heavy, torrential rains came to Yankee Stadium uh, in the sixth inning last night. They had to put the tarp on the field, and they never resumed play. It was an official game, six innings, Yankees ahead two to nothing. So the Yankees get the victory and the four-game sweep of the Red Sox, but nary a home run from Aaron Judge, who is stuck now on 60. And, you know, obviously, Yankee fans out in droves paying a lot of money to be at that ball game, especially those who sat in the, uh, in the bleachers because, you know, they wanted to get that home run ball and see what, uh, what kind of a deal they could make with the Yankees to get that home run ball back to Aaron Judge and potentially the Baseball Hall of Fame. So the bleacher seats at Yankee Stadium over the weekend were going for a pretty penny. And the place was packed, all four games at Yankee Stadium, as you would expect, with a record on the line, a record uh, as, uh, as large as that one. Uh, I mean, it's one of the great records in baseball uh, in the American League, 61 home runs. And Judge was looking to tie Roger Maris, a former Yankee. And I would have bet anything if I had that inclination that he was going to do it last night against a Red Sox rookie right-hander because... It was on a Sunday in 1961, folks, when Roger Maris hit his 61st home run against a Red Sox rookie right-hander. Tracy Stallard was on the mound for the Red Sox, October 1st, 1961, and he, uh, Roger Maris hit his 61st home run at Yankee Stadium. So I thought it would only be a fitting and proper that Aaron Judge do it against a Red Sox rookie right-hander on a Sunday. And uh, it 
did not turn out to be the case. So Aaron Judge probably will not hit number 61 at Yankee Stadium, and there's a good chance that he may hit number 61 in another country because the Yankees open a series tonight in Toronto against the Blue Jays. So the eyes of the baseball world will be on Rogers Center in Toronto tonight. Uh, Jose Barrios is uh, a right-hander who is going to go for the Blue Jays tonight against Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees. So uh, he will continue his quest for number 61. And when he gets that, the focus will continue because 62 would be the all-time American League record that he would not have to share with anyone. Of course, Barry Bonds has the all-time season record, 73, uh, done in the National League. But uh, Barry Bonds, uh, his you know career, his home run total, uh, kind of in question because of the alleged steroid use. Uh, that uh, was a, a big part of his career, reportedly, anyway, although he never failed a drug test. Do you know that, that uh, Barry Bonds never failed a drug test? But he was always accused of using performance-enhancing drugs. And a matter of fact, uh, he was on ESPN2 uh, last night on the K-Rod telecast and uh, really enjoyed uh, hearing from Barry Bonds. You never hear from Barry Bonds too often, but he was on last night hoping to be on when Judge tied Roger Maris's record, but it was not to be. We'll take a break, and when we come back, with any luck, we'll catch up with Buzz Bissinger about his great new book, The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II. Kale and Company live here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. It is Kale and Company live for a Monday, a delight to have you along with us. And our next guest is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist whose books include Three Nights in August and Friday Night Lights. His most recent book is The Mosquito Bowl, a game of life and death in World War II. And we welcome Buzz Bissinger to Kale & Company. Buzz, good morning to you. Hey, good morning. How are you? I am doing uh, very, very well. And I, I must say, this, this book... The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II, should be uh, required reading for history classes. I, I learned more about World War II uh, in two or three chapters of your book than I ever learned in school. So uh, th this this book uh, just brings it all to life. It's a, an amazing piece of work, and I, I congratulate you on that. Well, I can't uh, say. That's, a, that's music to my ears, seriously. I really, really appreciate you know that's what i was trying to do so i so appreciate your comments well it is so true and and this book is uh, you know about much more than a, a football game on, on christmas eve in 1944 on guadalcanal uh you have called this your best book why well because i think it was my most complex book and i think the stakes in this book were higher and more important than anything i've read i mean i know i'm i'm uh, known for Friday Night Lights and the impact of high school football in a town in Texas. And, you know, high school football is really, really, really important in Odessa, Texas, but it was not a matter of life and death. This book was about life 
and, and death and Marines joining and going off to Okinawa. And the book traces the lives of some of the men I, I followed and you see who makes it and, you know, who doesn't. For your, your other books, you were able to experience what you were writing about. In this case, it was just simply years of research. How did you even begin to unearth the, the, the amazing stories of many of the 65 men who did take part in the Mosquito Bowl? Well, I don't, I don't remember how. I, I, I must have been playing around on the Internet because I probably had a book deadline or something. And, you know, we all avoid writing when we can and came across. <laughs> came up across this thing called the Mosquito Bowl. The Mosquito Bowl was a game that was played on the island of Guadalcanal on Christmas Eve of 1944 between two Marine regiments that were stocked. I mean, I, I mean loaded with yeah. great college football players, all three All-Americans, seven captains, including Notre Dame. And, you know, they would argue all the time. And finally, you know, they're Marines. They said, "Let's we don't argue, let's get it on. So they had this game. And it wasn't a pickup game. I mean, they built goalposts, and they had uh, real officials, and they printed up programs. They announced the starting rosters. They made it as close as you possibly could to the real thing. They they had a ball. It was really the last time these Marines were allowed to be boys to do something they loved. It was three blessed hours away from thinking about combat and combat. And the tragedy, as you point out, of the 65 who played in that game, five months later, 15 had been killed. Mm. In, in the bloodbath of, of Okinawa. So when I read about that, I said, that's a book, if I can get at it. And I was lucky because uh, some of the families had a great paper trail. They had kept everything, letters back and forth home, um, college transcripts, high school transcripts, grade school transcripts. There was just a lot of material. And I said, all right, I have enough to portray these guys through their lives to Okinawa and you know, so the reader connects with them and, and loves them. And then you see, tragically, um, who makes it out and who does not. Buzz Bissinger is our guest, author of The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II. And in reading the book, Buzz, I, I really felt that I got to know the, the Marines you so brilliantly uh, put into words. You know, how many cigarettes they smoke, their drink, <laughs> drinking habits, their, their gambling, their poker playing, their girlfriends, <laughs> fiancés, you, know, you, you felt, like, felt like I knew these guys, you know? Uh, and uh, I, I know you, your dad was a Marine, and I, I guess uh, during the course of this, you, you found out that the hell that he went through uh, uh, while, while you were writing this book. Well, indirectly, I did. I mean, it was, it was shocking, frankly. Uh, my father was a Marine. He was a private. He was on the line. He was at Okinawa. He never talked about it. He really could not. He would joke here and there. But if it got serious, he would have to leave um, leave the room. And as I started research on the book, uh, you know, I said, I might as well look at some of his records to see where the heck he was. And lo and behold, I get his muster rolls. We have the same name. So it's sort of like seeing my name. And he was a private, but he was in one of the regiments that I was writing about. And that was freaky, and that sort of put me over the top. And the book, in a sense, is exactly what you say. It's, it's, it's a way of describing uh, and learning the horror of, of what he went through. Now, he's been gone for 20 years, and uh, I just wish I could hug him. I just wish I could say, Dad, I, I am so proud of you. I now know the hell that you went through. So I don't know. 
Maybe he's reading the book somewhere. I hope so. But in a sense, the book is dedicated to him, although it's also dedicated to, to, to others. Yeah. So it was it's pretty much destiny that you that you wrote this book. A little seems. bit. Yeah. A little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly a, a diverse cast of characters in this book from uh, many ethnic, ethnic backgrounds, many religious backgrounds as well. Uh, but the one common trait they had was the fact that, you know, they, they were all outstanding football players. I mean, this wasn't a game of scrubs. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> some real quality players here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really profile four players. Uh, John McLowry, who uh, went to Brown, was captain at a time that, believe it or not, Brown had really good college football. He went to the New York Giants before he joined the Marines. Uh, Tony Buckovitz, I just love saying that name. It's the <laughs> ultimate football name. Uh, Tony came from the coal mines of, of Illinois and was an All-American running back from Purdue. Uh, Dave Schreiner, from a farm town in Wisconsin, was a two-time All-American as as perfect an All-American as, as you would ever ever find. And then Bob Bauman, who was a teammate of Dave Schreiner's in 1942 when Wisconsin had its best team ever. And there were many, you know, many more. I write about George Murphy, who was the captain of Notre Dame. Um, I mentioned um, you know, all the 15 men who didn't make it because I want to honor them. We, we need to honor these men. We need to remember, you know, we're losing our veterans by the thousands. In 10 years, there may be no World War II veterans left. And that is, that, that is just unimaginable to me. And we need to preserve their memories because they represent so much that is great about this country. And the thing about, you know, the people say, well, what did you learn? What I learned was uh, what this country has done and can do when we're unified, when we're all in it together, when we have a common foe. We so much rose to the occasion because everybody served one way or another. Women, women served, took over manufacturing. African-Americans served despite withering racism, racism. And, you know, in a foxhole, there's no red state. There's no blue state. You're in a foxhole. You have a PhD from Yale and you're next to a guy from, you know, Brooklyn with a fifth grade education. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You've got to know each other. You've got to respect each other. And all you want is, will you watch my back and will you protect me? Because you've become my brother. And, and that's really, really powerful to me. And if we did it once, we can do it again. I'm just convinced of that. We have to be convinced of that. And tell us about the, the Mosquito Bowl itself. It was uh, full of pomp and circumstance, as you alluded to, <laughs> as well as a, a game featuring the, the 65 very talented football players. And, uh, you know, it was at uh, Guadalcanal, and, and, and they had goalposts and, and everything, and it was even on the radio. Uh, the game was yeah, even was, broadcast, right? It was. It was broadcast on the, on the Mosquito Radio Network, as they called it, that yeah. was uh, broadcast out to parts of the Pacific. It had been started by a group, group of guys uh, uh, who had worked at NBC and, and made a studio. So you had a broadcast on the radio. It went out to ships uh, at, at sea. There was great, you know, look, the Marines do it right. Um, at halftime, the commanding general, Lemuel Shepard, walked across the field, uh, just like the president, because he didn't want to show any bias to yep. one regiment or another. You know, I, I'm not giving anything away. The score was 0-0. Zero, zero. They just they had a ball. They just beat the crap out of each other, yeah. which is really what they wanted to do, and they wanted the rematch. And one of the regimental commanders, Alan Shapley, said, uh-uh. Guys, if you're going to get hurt or injured, you're doing it during battle. You're not going to do it during a football game, because some guys did get hurt. They got infections from the coral. 
But the bottom line is, and there were 1,500 Marines who came and watched and cheered and, you know, were tooted up on beer because they were allowed to drink it and, and gambled. So they were going crazy. Uh, you know, so imagine it. And I try to get the reader to, to see it. A football game on Guadalcanal. That makes no sense. But it was a real football game with such tragic, tragic repercussions. But, you know, 15 died, but, but 50 made it out alive and some of the worst Really, the worst fighting in the Pacific, and frankly, the worst fighting that the Marines were ever involved in. It is an incredible book, and uh, I, I recommend everyone uh, to read it. It, it was uh, a real page-turner, and uh, so uh, well-researched. And uh, Buzz Bissinger, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for taking some time today, and there's a whole lot more to tell. And uh, we, we appreciate your time, and, and the book is outstanding, and... We, we thank you, and uh, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. Just want to say it's available everywhere, and it, is, uh, it hit the New York Times bestseller list right out of the box, which is uh, music to my ears. Con- so people are reading it, which is what you want oh, when you're an author. A- absolutely. Well, congratulations on, ex- on its success, and it's certainly richly deserved. And uh, John Grisham said, destined to become a classic, I devoured it. And I would certainly uh, echo those sentiments. And uh, Buzz, thanks so much for being with us. Okay, thank you. All right, Buzz Bissinger. And the book again, The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II. We'll be back. Kale and Company live on this Monday. Stay with us. Don't you dare touch that dial. Welcome back, Kale and Company, for a Monday. We are live. If you want to hear the show again, well, you can uh, tune in at 7 o'clock tonight, just a little after 7. We'll play it again for you. And our thanks to Buzz Bissinger. What an accomplished author uh, he is. And, uh, man, what, what John Grisham said, uh, destined to become a classic, I devoured at the Mosquito Bowl. A game of life and death in World War II. It is just an incredible read. And I, when I mentioned to Buzz that this should be required reading for history classes, it really should be. Uh, I mean, you, you just feel, uh, you know, uh, you know the the emotion uh, and, uh, and and what went on uh, in in World War II. Uh, why there was, in fact, a World War II and uh, how it unfolded. And, you know, you, you get a chance to, you, you feel as if you get to know some of these individuals who played in the Mosquito Bowl. And there were 65 very, very talented uh, athletes in, in this event on uh, Guadalcanal. And that was just prior uh, for these, Mar- from uh, you know, just prior to these Marines going to Okinawa, for a bloody, bloody battle in which 15 of the 65 never returned. It is, it is an amazing book. It truly is. And it is, it is a, a great way to learn history. If, if you don't know much about the origins of World War II, I mean, everybody has heard of the, the bombing at Pearl Harbor, of course. But why? Why was Pearl Harbor bombed? Uh, you know, and how this war played out, it, it's, an, it's just an incredible, incredible read. And I would certainly highly recommend it. And uh, Buzz, of course, probably best known uh, for his book, uh, Friday Night Lights, which spawned a TV series and a movie. And 
you know, and, and that's probably what he will forever be known best for. But this was just an incredible work that took five years to write. Uh, the research is, is just so detailed. And it, it, uh, I can't say anything more about it except for the fact that I recommend that you read it. And uh, again, available on Amazon and wherever great books are sold. And it just made the New York Times bestseller list. So uh, it's uh, amazing, just truly amazing, a real page turner. And uh, we congratulate Buzz for another outstanding, outstanding book. Well, you probably uh, have heard about uh, uh, Ime Udoka, the Boston Celtics uh, head coach. He has been suspended for the entire season as uh, Celtics uh, president of basketball operations, Brad Stevens, and uh, Wick Grosbeck, one of the owners, addressed the tidal wave of reports and rumors on Friday surrounding uh, the team policy violating conduct of the now suspended Ime Udoka. I do not believe, I do not believe that the Ime Udoka will ever coach a game again uh, for the Boston Celtics. I, I think in the not-too-distant future, they will come to an accord, an agreement, and the two sides will go their separate ways. It'll be some kind of a buyout because uh, Ime uh, is under contract this year and next, but I don't think he'll return following the suspension. In fact, I, I think the Celtics and Ime will reach an agreement of some kind and he will be able uh, to, to move on and probably, uh, almost assuredly, coach uh, somewhere else. Brad Stevens said, on Friday during the press conference, we have a lot of talented women in our organization, and I thought the Thursday was really hard on them. Uh, nobody can control Twitter speculation, he said, acknowledging the various Celtic staffers whose names and affiliations were exploited uh, by those online following the initial reports on Wednesday. However, the last report, courtesy of of course, TMZ, who is uh, all over this, suggests Yudoka was involved with a Celtic staffer who was directly responsible for assisting the 45-year-old head coach while also providing assistance to Yudoka's fiancée, Nia Long. Now, of course, this is a TMZ story. If it had been most NBA coaches, you know, it, it you know was scandalous, but uh, maybe not TMZ-worthy, but because Ime Udoka is involved with a, a famous Hollywood actress, TMZ certainly uh, got involved. And uh, TMZ wrote on Saturday, the Celtics employee with whom Ime Udoka had an affair helped make all his travel arrangements. And that job sometimes included organizing travel for his fiancée, Nia Long. Uh, sources indicated or sources connected to the couple and the NBA franchise told TMZ one of the staffer's duties included, included planning Yudoka's team-related travel and we're told she was also involved in booking travel for Nia to come to Boston or to road games, 
end quote. The controversy surrounding the matter continues to unravel with members of the media, former players, and others all vocalizing their two cents in the early stages with Udoka still an affiliate of the Celtics organization, uh, organization pending further announcement from the team. The uh, 2022-23 regular season just 24 days away for the Celtics and they're already embarking on their defense as last season's Eastern Conference champions with their backs against the wall. Without their head coach who led them there to the championship series against Golden State last year, uh, that's one thing. Secondly, uh, Robert Williams III, shot blocker extraordinaire, underwent knee surgery last week, and he won't be able to return to any kind of basketball activities for 12 weeks. And then who knows beyond that when he might be able to get into a game. You know, Robert Williams III is a very, very talented basketball player, and perhaps, and without exaggeration, perhaps the best shot blocker the Celtics have had on their roster since Bill Russell. I mean, like Kevin Garnett, outstanding shot blocker in his own right. I think Robert Williams III is a better shot blocker. I'm not saying he's better all the way around than uh, Kevin Garnett. That's not true. But specifically, in the art of shot blocking, Robert Williams III is second to none right now uh, in the NBA. He is an amazing shot blocker. And, boy, uh, when he was out there, he was so valuable to that team. But the problem with the Time Lord, Robert Williams III, as he is called, the Time Lord, he doesn't, uh, he's not able to get on the court very much. He's often injured, and this just adds to that. Uh, he'll be out for at least three months, probably four months before he gets into an NBA game, and then, you know, he'll be brought back uh, gradually. But you know, maybe it uh, you know it, it could work for the best. Who knows? If he's if his knee is better than ever after surgery, and he's brought back slowly, Celtics make the playoffs. You know, he he won't have as much mileage certainly on those uh, on those knees and legs that he would have had he played uh, the regular season uh, from start to finish. So who knows? Maybe maybe it could be a blessing in disguise. We'll have to see how it all plays out. A couple of uh, victories for local football teams uh, over the weekend. Concord High Crimson Tide went to 3-1 and one with a resounding 56-7 victory over Alvern. The Tide will uh, take on Rutland, Vermont, Friday at 7 at uh, Memorial Field in Concord, right in our own backyard. The Merrimack Valley Pride down John Stark Saturday, 20-6. Pride will uh, travel to Bow this Saturday for a uh, 2 o'clock kickoff. Bow won at Milford Friday night, 34-6. So the Falcons are now 3-1 and one on the season. So congratulations to those local winning teams over the weekend. Uh, today, by the way, is Family Day. 
I guess you can take that any way you want, but uh, spend some time with the family. It's also National Better Breakfast Day. And breakfast, as we approach 9 o'clock, sounds pretty darn good to me. It's also National Dumpling Day as well. want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks to our guest, UNH head football coach Rick Santos, and also Buzz Bissinger, author of the book The Mosquito Bowl, a game of life and death in World War II. I highly recommend it. Thank you for joining us today here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. Have a good Monday, everybody.